This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Stuttering is a normal part of learning to speak, particularly when a preschooler's language abilities can't keep up with what they want to say. Most children outgrow this phase, but for some, the struggle to get words out continues. Wellington speech and language therapist Christian Wright is with us. Welcome. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Good, thank you. We've got lots of questions coming in, which is great, but let's just work through some basics. What is stuttering? So, okay, so stuttering often um, people get a little bit confused because they hear the word stammering or disfluency being thrown around. They all mean the same thing, for starters. It's really a condition that's characterised by the repetition of sounds. So if we were to use the phrase, my name is, um, the sound would be m, 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 so that first sound. Uh, a syllable, so my, that, that first word being a syllable, so my, my, my. Or a phrase, my name is, my name is. So that's the first part. There are two other parts to stuttering. There's also the stretching, what we call the prolongation of of sounds. So if we use that phrase again, it would be my name is. So you're really stretching out that sound, that, that vowel is being sustained. Also blocks. So blocks is where the child has the struggle to actually get the sound to leave their mouth. So they have the onset of the M sometimes and they will... And then everything locks up and then all of a sudden out of pause. So those are the uh, characteristics of stuttering that we hear, but there are also characteristics of stuttering that we see. So those are what we call the secondary features, and they are that physical struggle to get the words out. It's the bit that in persistent stuttering um, or in very severe cases we see that really attracts the attention of, of, of a listener. They see this person wrestling with it. So the hard blinking of the eyes or facial grimacing, stomping your feet, um, clenching your fists. Um, sometimes um, I've seen children hit themselves in the, in the mouth to try and get the word to come out. So um, that's the sort of picture of what stuttering looks like. And I alluded before to persistent stuttering because what we do is we divide it into early stuttering and persistent stuttering. So the children with early stuttering are the children where there's a chance that that child will actually recover naturally or through therapy. And that window is from onset uh, through to three to four years after that stuttering's begun. So that's considered to be early. But if it's persisting past that four-year mark, then we're getting into the territory that they're probably the chances of recovery, be it naturally or through therapy, are, have rapidly diminished, and we're looking at a lifelong condition. Um, are, the sorry, reasons for, are the reasons for that because it has gone on so long or the reasons for that that is, there's a bigger issue than just it being a phase? Yeah, that's right. You start to, it's very difficult to separate um, the children who are likely to recover, which we'll talk about a little bit later, from the children who it's going to persist. Um, there are some indicators, um, but but essentially where parents are concerned about stuttering, I prefer to um, see the child, see the parent and have a conversation to try and determine if it's going to continue. Um, if we look at 
stuttering itself. So we've talked a bit about the repetitions, the stretches, the blocks, but there are actually some patterns to stuttering and how it looks when people are talking. For example, it mostly occurs on consonants rather than vowels. Um, and it's usually on the first consonant in a word that's very, very common, uh, particularly in the preschoolers. Um, and in many cases, um, there are certain sounds or words that people who stutter will, who are experiencing stuttering will struggle with. In particular, the, the worst is their name. So many people struggle when they started to say their name. And um, uh, most likely because of the pressure of, of the communicative pressure of that moment when someone's asked you what your name is. Um, stuttering tends to occur more on content words like nouns and verbs rather than your function words like is, are, the. Um, more it occurs on stressed syllables than unstressed. Longer sentences, uh, you're always at increased risk of stuttering the longer the sentence. And particularly if you're talking about something that's not present. So if you're retelling a story or recounting something, for some reason, um, uh, children and adolescents and adults will always struggle much more when they can't talk about what's in front of them. And this stuttering has um, an enormous impact on people. And over the 20 plus years I've been doing this, I've worked with um, children, preschoolers, adolescents, adults who stutter. And what I have observed is that as stuttering persists through the school age years into adolescence and adulthood, it tends to, um, in many cases, attract greater and greater emotional and psychological baggage that comes with it, which is completely understandable. I remember many years ago um, sitting with a gentleman. He was in his 40s, and um, he was sitting in my office, and he was looking out the window, and I had been using a treatment technique that I'll share a little bit later, but he was using the technique, and he looked out the window, and he said, I can see a um, grey roof um, some windows and it's a cloudy day and then he sat there staring out the window and then I was waiting for him to continue and I said was there anything else you wanted to say and he said to me I don't know what to say because I've never got this far in a sentence before and um, it was that moment for me personally where I realized how unbelievably damaging um, and difficult for him it had been to go through his life carrying this this the the weight of this and it had shaped so much about him um, that he had even chosen a profession where he didn't have to talk to people um, so where it's left unchecked and it is persistent there are treatments but the point is that usually people try to avoid talking they'll develop a whole bunch of strategies of word avoidance situational avoidance social anxiety increases um, there's a risk of them becoming more socially isolated and even in some cases some children have who stutter and stutter quite quite badly um, are at higher risk of repeating a school year there was one study that looked at that so um, does it become a vicious cycle too once you're getting beyond it being just part of a, of a development phase does it become a vicious cycle that the more uptight you get the harder it is to yeah. um, you, 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 um, to, here I'm doing it. <laughs> the harder it is to, <laughs> the harder it is to, um, yeah. to to form your thoughts and then to transfer those thoughts into speech. Can it become a bit of a cycle? Yeah, I think. Yes, I do. I think that the anxiety of communication probably does interrupt the cognitive processes of thought. People think fluently, 
but it's almost as though their mouth betrays them. They go to open it and their thoughts are there, but they can't seem to sequence or organise what to do. And there are some situations that can eliminate it instantly, but they're not long-lasting. So, for example, singing. So many times people will say to me, but I can sing and I can sing beautifully and I never ever stutter. And that's linked to the fact that essentially they're changing the way that they breathe and produce voice, that they're not in their default pattern. They're in a, um, a, um, a, a different pattern that momentarily causes fluency to occur, but obviously you can't walk around singing. So that's not so useful in the longer term. Um, reading with somebody out loud often generates fluency, shadowing, so talking just behind someone. So if I'm saying, hi, my name is Christian, and someone's saying that one or two words behind me, they'll often be quite smooth, quite fluent. And even masking, which is where if you play white noise or they're in a noisy bar, some people who stutter will report having greater degrees of fluency in their speech. And um, you might remember the movie The King's Speech from many years ago, and there's a famous scene in that where... um, the speech therapist puts headphones on him and he listens to music and he's basically insulting the speech therapist, but he's speaking completely fluently. So that's masking. That's what was occurring in that scene. Um, but yes, I think just going back to your point, yes, um, I do think that many times the um, at the old, my, my adolescence who stutter, it has become um, connected to um, social phobic um, responses to social situations that have almost become phobic because they can't trust the most basic fundamental thing that we take for granted, that if I have a thought, I can express it and I'm not going to attract any unwanted attention um, because I'll just say it. And um, if you've ever been around teenagers, oh my gosh, I mean, the speed at which teenagers speak as well, it's very difficult that many of these teenagers are in groups with their friends at school and they can't even get a word in because the conversation is moving so quickly. Um, And the same for my school-age children. My younger children will often express that, that they're trying to be a part of the group, but the time it's taking for them to get the word out, the group moves on. We must get get to some solutions, but just finally, Christian, do we know, is there an underlying cause? Like, is there, you know... You're thinking your thoughts, and then yes. if you're fortunate, they transfer into words. But as they say, we'll often have a mental block and forget what we're saying or, or struggle for the right word. Is it that, or is, is there a, a different kind of um, physiological underpinning, or do we just not know? Yeah, we, we, we don't really know. Um, we do believe there are two parts to it. There's a genetic and a brain component, but still the research is inconclusive. We just don't know. But genetics-wise, there is a hereditary component. So 70% of people who stutter, there's a family history. It usually affects males more than females in a ratio of about four to one. Um, interestingly, in studies where they've had identical, genetically identical twins and non-identical, where one of the genetically identical twins is stuttering, the other one is usually stuttering. And in the non-identicals, one can be stuttering and one is not. So we do believe that there is a strong genetic component. Um, But to make a point there that stuttering is not transmitted as a behaviour that's copied. So often parents are concerned, one child stuttering, will my younger child start to stutter as well? No, not because they're hearing it, but the hereditary component uh, might be a factor. The brain, there's a problem there of neural processing of speech. So what we do think is there's a connectability issue. So it's the, as we, 
and our brains transmit the information along the what they call the white matter fibres um, that are associated with spoken language. There's possibly some kind of interruption or issue at that level yeah. that might be contributing. But what we don't know is whether the brain issues are the cause or the consequence of stuttering. We right. still are not sure about that. Look, it's a miracle what we do um, in, in, in communication anyway. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. And, um, it's so true. The, the gift that you are able to give and others are able to give is is it primarily teaching techniques. And I still watch Andrew Beecroft, the, the wonderful children's commissioner, yes. very, very open yes. about his history. Um, I've still sat here and watched and been able to pick sometimes the listener wouldn't have, but I could I could see him at work on on how he manages. And is that mainly what you do with people? Yeah, that's right. So speech therapists around the country will work with preschoolers, adolescents, and adults who stutter using a range of techniques. So in our preschool population, we prefer to use what they call um, verbal uh, verbal contingencies. So this idea it's a really stupid way of saying, basically praising their fluent speech or uh, asking them to correct their disfluent speech. And it's a particular program called the Lidcom program, which has um, gone through rigorous um, clinical trials and basically come out at a, as a gold standard approach. So that's the starting point. It's a parent-led program. So what the speech therapist does is we actually educate the parent on how best to approach uh, using the, the principles of the program to help the child to approach an, an interaction with the child that's pleasurable. The child has a lot of fun. The parent uses the strategies. And over um, quite some time, it varies uh, the treatment length, but um, over a period of sessions, the child improves in fluency as a result of the feedback they're getting from the parent. And what we know is that our younger children, the younger a child is, the more amenable they are to those kinds of treatment, those kinds of treatment strategies where there's a lot of um, um, parent-led feedback that has a positive influence on the fluency of the child. But as children get older and become adolescents, those strategies become less effective over time. So we end up having to move towards more what we call speech restructuring techniques, which is what Andrew Beecroft would have learnt. And um, those are the strategies where we're actually teaching them a way to produce speech, either by prolonging um, their vowels in their speech, prolonged speech is what that's called, um, or even another technique, the self-imposed timeout technique, where the person learns to monitor when the stuttering moment's occurring, pausing, managing their breath, getting onto a breath or um, hopping onto an airstream, and then modifying the degree of intensity of the contact of what's happening in their mouth so as not to trigger uh, or try to reduce the possibility of a stuttering moment. So as people get older with stuttering, the treatments have to become much more invasive. Um, so the rule of thumb is, if you're concerned about your child's fluency, earlier is better. It's much easier to treat a preschooler with, with an issue in stuttering. And, or even if um, they're just wondering if the child has a stutter, like I, I will get parents in my clinic situation where they're not really sure but it's worth checking it out because it's so much easier to treat um, than left unchecked. Okay, so before we get to the questions, could you just recap then what are the good things for parents and teachers to do with sure. uh, children who are, shall we say, not 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 needing that extra tier of intervention, but what are the do's yep. and don'ts to help children who are experiencing some stuttering? Absolutely. The first thing I would be saying to parents and to teachers um, is to acknowledge it. Um, often there's a... Uh, a thought or an understanding out there that if I acknowledge it, I'll make it worse, and that just isn't the case. Um, I often use the example, it's a bit of an extreme one, but with my parents, that if your child 
um, cut themselves or broke their arm or injured themselves in some way, we wouldn't um, ignore that. We would acknowledge that pain and empathise. So you won't do any harm by acknowledging it at all. You're paying attention essentially to the frustration that the child is experiencing and asking them if they're old enough, what do they find helpful? What do they not find particularly helpful that you're doing? Um, what would they like you to do? Do they have any ideas around that? Um, often parents will usually opt for, and teachers, for the stop or slow down or take a breath kind of response. And many times children don't really like this. They articulate that they don't like this. They feel that this, is, um, this interrupts the flow of what they're trying to say and they find it frustrating being told it all the time. I have met some children that have found it beneficial, but many haven't. Um, so I think in the first instance, having a conversation with your child, if they're expressing worry or frustration about their speech and just talking them, um, talking with them about it, that it is frustrating, that sometimes people do have bumps in their speech um, would it be useful for us to go and talk to someone about your talking to see if we can make it smoother? So really involving the child in that process if possible. Um, when talking with the child, I always try to main, maintain eye contact. I focus on the content of what they're saying. I try not to rush them to finish. I don't try to finish their sentences. So just giving them the time to express themselves. And I, I think in a class situation, there are a few things teachers can do that are useful. For example, in class, children are sometimes expected to contribute orally. Um, so trying to reduce the wait time to speak is really useful. So talking with the child about either going first or being clear where they are going in the speaking order, because there's nothing worse than having a stutter. And I had one from the age of eight to 13, I stuttered myself. And I can remember waiting and not knowing when I was going to go and the anxiety building that when I did have to go, it almost felt like the mountain was just too big and I just couldn't get over that. Um, some children, I've had one boy who did really well. Um, he wanted to present to his class about his fluency and his struggles with stuttering and that was enormously helpful to him. He, in a sense, um, got up and declared what he had, which was a stutter and what works for him to try and demystify it for his peers. Um, he was about eight when he did that. Um, and just two other things I'd say for teachers would be when they're reading aloud, sometimes as we talked about, reading in unison with someone can be useful. So that can be really helpful, an easy way to get a child to contribute. Um, or if they're having to do an oral presentation, doing it in a small group, that uh, can be much better. Or pre-teaching, so talking to the student about what are you going to be asking at mat time? What might an answer be? Prepare that answer with the student to take all the pressure that when I do put my hand up to contribute, I know I'm going to get it right. So now I'm just focusing on being fluent. Wonderful stuff. All right, that are some questions. My son, who's six and a half years old, just seems to struggle with continuing what he wants to say mid-conversation. It's really bad when he's tired, but sometimes I think he just wants to talk for the sake of speaking and doesn't actually know what he wants to say. We're all guilty of this. Or if it happens on the radio, trust me. <laughs> or if he actually is struggling to get the words out. He also has a lisp when pronouncing his L's. We've been trying to get him to practice the sound and where his tongue should be when he says them. Is he? Is it him being lazy with pronunciation? We read with. We read lots of kids do it, but grow out of it eventually. What do you think? Mm. So, did you say that the lisp was on the L sound? Yes. 
Yeah, that's not so much, that's not a very common sound to lisp on. So there's something going on with that L that I would want to look at. Um, the mid-sentence thing, that's a hard one to answer. It could be a range of things, ranging from an issue with word finding, it could be an issue with his ability to plan a narrative, so he's getting so far into his thought and then he's having trouble in a sense in his working memory holding on to what he was talking about and where he was going with it um, or it could be uh, some kind of stuttering disfluency that might be going on mid-sentence although usually as we talked about um, stuttering for many kids it usually occurs at the front end of a sentence so um, they would probably be more aware of that so i think i wouldn't really be able to give um, a lot of ideas around that um, however um, I would suggest, particularly with that speech sound, that if they've got a local speech therapist they could approach just to have a little look at it because L um, doesn't usually get lisped, so I'd want to know what's going on with that. And um, he, if you do have a lisp, there are different kinds, and listeners can go back into the archives to see our session on lisps to yes. hear more about that. But yes. there is a frontal lisp, um, which most children would struggle with, and that usually, um, in many cases, will resolve itself by the um, age of eight years. But um, uh, you would want to look at an L, and I'm wondering if his L is going to a W, um, or if he's doing something quite unique, um, like he is actually lisping it, and it's a very rare kind of lisp, um, like a palatal lisp or something, which is like a slushy, guttural kind of sound. Um, okay. So, yeah. Okay. I have a mild stutter myself, says this emailer, and two of my three children were treated as preschoolers for stuttering, which had a positive outcome. My eldest is now 14 and has started stuttering a little again. Is this part mm -hmm. of teenage brain changes? Will it resolve or should I look further into uh, speech therapy? Uh, he does not seem to be bothered too much by it. It is more of a stutter yep. in the middle of talking than a block word, unlike when he was little and he was blocked from starting a sentence at all. Okay. Yeah, sure. So there's a family history there, although we have um, something interesting there, which is around the recovery. So risk factors for persistent stuttering are family history and no recovery, um, that you're male, that you've been going for longer than four years, that there's a high degree of it in your speech. And in some cases, you've got poor speech and language. Uh, your, your history of speech and language development wasn't as good as your peers. So I think in that case, because of his history, I would want him to see someone, but then there is a very critical issue. He's not concerned about it. And we would want to drill into that because sometimes some teenagers will say they're not concerned, but they're actually burying that they are concerned. But I also fully believe that parents are expert in their children and they can read what is of concern to their child and what is not. So I believe she's telling the truth about that. And so it might be, and the reason I say this to her is that it's really, really hard to treat an adolescent who doesn't really think it's an issue. They won't really do the practice. It's not impacting their day-to-day -day life. They're not socially withdrawing and they're not having trouble with their peers. So they're highly unlikely to make a change or commit to the practice that would be required to sustain some kind of fluency improvement. So um, it might be as a starting point, having a conversation with him, how concerned is he? Um, one way I do it is I say to um, adolescents, let's just talk about a scale of one to 10. How much would you want to, and then we go um, play a PlayStation, one to 10, and they'll go 10 if it's a boy usually. Um, and then you go through all these different scenarios of liking and disliking, wanting and not wanting. And then I'll drop in there, how much would you want to change your speech, one to 10? Um, and I just start to get a sense on that number scale of how, 
um, desirable the idea of working on it is and how much motivation there is there for it. Great. Uh, one more. I have a seven-year-old. This is a different topic again, I think. I have a seven-year-old who hasn't had any previous difficulty with speech who suddenly has developed the habit of saying a phrase frequently, never mind is the phrase, that she will say often as she's mid-sentence. She's been doing it for about a month and seems always to get stuck on this phrase, as I would imagine someone would when stammering. She even says it in the night when she's asleep. We've tried not to bring much attention to it, but it's been bothering her and she feels she can't stop saying it. Is it something you've come across? Do you have any advice? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I have come across versions of it. Um, so they, they almost, those situations behave or sound like um, a, like a tick behaviour, like a vocal tick. Um, so I have seen that. And um, I think what I would do in that situation, if she's becoming bothered by it, is, is to have a look at how we could eliminate that behaviour. So the first thing would be to try and, she's she's aware of it and she's annoyed by it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she's aware of it in the context of fluent speech. So sometimes people will do something and they know they do it, but they don't know precisely when they're doing it. So you'd have to manage this pretty carefully and you might want to involve a professional to support you with it. So a speech therapist for argument's sake. And the approach that I've taken in the past is something similar to this, where there was a boy who kept saying, what was I going to say? And that was his phrase. What was I going to say? And he just kept dropping it everywhere. And he'd almost got to the point where he knew he was saying it, but he couldn't hear himself saying it. So we just set up a chart, a simple chart, where in front of him, when I was talking with him, I would put ticks on the chart every time he said it. And the goal was for him to try and reduce the frequency of those ticks on the chart. And so in a sense, raising his awareness of the moment that he was using it. Um, so that was the first step to try and begin to raise awareness to move towards extinguishing it. Um, so I think... That would be my starting point, but then obviously I would want to see how the child responded to that to then know where to go next. Um, so it might be that it's if it's concerning to her to go and see a speech therapist or even a psychologist locally to talk about strategies to, re to try and reduce it. Wonderful. Uh, we'll leave the questions there. Someone is asking about verbal dyspraxia. I can't recall. if we discussed that previously before? Can we refer them do to you know, a previous Do you know, I don't session? actually think, no, and I don't think we have. So and let's we can do it easily do that. Yeah. Great. Okay. Great, Christian. Maybe next time. Thank no you. Uh, thank you, listeners, for your um, questions and, and uh, requests. And the, for the person who did email in about verbal dyspraxia, we will uh, schedule that one with Christian next time.